Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. My name is Pastor Dale, one of the teaching pastors here, and it's a joy to be part of the staff. And today, as we open the Word together, we're going to be looking at a topic. We've already talked about the topic of God from a bigger perspective earlier in this series on myths about God and faith. But today, we're going to tackle perhaps the, the part of this topic of God, the Holy Spirit, who, when we think of the Trinity as Christians, we often, and we've learned and already studied, Ryan taught you earlier in the year that God exists as one, but exhibits and, and exists as three also, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Probably the Holy Spirit is the least talked about and often the most misunderstood and maybe the most mysterious of all the other aspects of this thing called the Trinity. For some, the Spirit of God is, when they hear that, well, the Spirit of God be with you. They often think of kind of an unseen, impersonal kind of a force, uh, something that is there, but you can't really see it or you may feel it, or you know, but it's an unseen, mysterious presence of God or the power of God somewhere out there in the universe. It's kind of like the Star Wars, you know, as you go into battle, the force be with you, Right? You want to have the force on your side, not against you, and, but it's very much a mystery. For others, and if you grew up where I grew up in the state of West Virginia, I kind of grew up in an area where there was a lot of confusion on the topic of the Holy Spirit. Now, everyone believed in the Holy Spirit, but there the Holy Spirit was often something that you saw on TV, uh, on a TV evangelist, and he would pray over someone, and maybe I should have Ryan come up and demonstrate, but can I slay you in the spirit? But anyway, I know, but you know, you, you kind of lay their hands on them and whoa, they'd be knocked off their feet and fall down. And I don't make fun of that, you know, because those are believers that love Christ like we do, but, but I mean, you know, or, or the Holy Spirit is something that gives you miraculous abilities to do things you've never done before. When I was a teenager, I experienced maybe the most extreme part of this where I heard about a church not far from where I lived that they believed that if you were walking in the Spirit, that you could literally uh, hold a rattlesnake in your hand and it would not bite you. Or, because I asked them this, what, have any of you ever been bitten? And they said, oh yeah, many of us have been bitten when we didn't have enough faith. But then we know the Holy Spirit is within you because the venom of the snake wouldn't wouldn't harm you. It wouldn't kill you. So, you know, th this was, this is kind of where I grew up. Now, some of you probably know, I just got back two weeks ago from a visit to West Virginia, and, and because I really appreciate my heritage and my roots in West Virginia, I kind of brought back a souvenir. If my wife can, honey, be careful with that bag, please. Bring this up here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. little souvenir. Since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I thought maybe we just kind of test out his power right now. Usually they throw these to someone, so Ryan, be ready. Okay. Glad you're on the front row. I wouldn't... See, I think it's, I think it's sleeping. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I brought back a, a souvenir from Africa. Yeah, it's a really cool shaker that they use in worship over there. So I told you I'd throw it. So Ryan, there you go. Yeah. Oh, there's another one in here. 
Oh, 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 these are my favorite worship instruments. These I got actually not in Africa, but in Peru. These are actually sheep's toenails. Isn't that kind of cool? Anybody want sheep's toenails? Okay, just give them back to me later for the second service. He's like, what do I do with this? Okay. Yeah, but you know, and I, and I share that just as a, as a little bit of humor, but I mean, those are the extremes of what people think of when they literally think of what's it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? Is it some impersonal force out there that is maybe with or, with or not with you on your side or not on your side? Or is it something that gives you miraculous powers like that? So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this topic because the Holy Spirit we're going to explore today is someone very vital, not so much for the miraculous, but for your everyday walk with Jesus Christ. That's what gets me excited about the Holy Spirit. It's not something miraculous. It's the impact that I've learned that he can have on my life every single day as I walk and seek to follow Christ and be more like him. In fact, some of the nicknames for the Holy Spirit give us a hint at this. The nicknames are things like, we'll look in a minute, the helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth. And most of all, he's nicknamed the spirit of Christ. In fact, Romans 8 9 says, if, if you do not have the spirit of Christ within you, you're none of his. So this He's the very spirit of Jesus Christ. So if that's true, then he's got to be important. So understanding God and experiencing God, walking with God in everyday life absolutely depends upon us understanding correctly and knowing the truth about God the Father, God the Son, and all he did on the cross and his resurrection. But also, we need to understand who is this person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. The myth we talked about already, there's an outline provided. If you want to follow along, it will definitely help you with this heavier topic. The myth is the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, a mysterious unseen presence or power that comes and goes, and we're not really sure whether we've got him or not. The truth of the Holy Spirit, where do we go for the truth? I thought about where we could go, and I found actually where Jesus Christ himself in uh, John chapters 14 to 17, has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. But actually, if you zoom in on John 14, 16, open your Bibles or your apps and get to John 14, uh, John 14, verse 16 and 17. Two verses is all I'm going to teach, and we'll cross-reference a little bit throughout, all right? We're going to see all we can learn about the truth about this Holy Spirit. Now, the context of John 14, as you're turning there, get there, is this. This is the time when Jesus is doing his last long teaching time with his closest disciples and friends. He's about ready to go to the cross. He gets a room. He takes them to this room. And, and, and in this upper room discourse, it's called, from John 14 to, to 17, he lays out the longest teaching segment of his life that we have recorded in Scripture. So you know these are final words to his closest friends. Final words are always important. I don't care who you are. If you know you're about ready to die and then leave, you're going to share what is most important. And it's in this environment that Jesus begins. In the end of chapter 13, he says, I'm about ready to leave you, and where I'm going, you can't go. You've been with me, but you cannot go with me here. And on top of that, I'm going to give you a final new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, you can imagine if Jesus is saying that to you, what are you beginning to feel? You're beginning to feel, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do that. 
I mean, I, I can try to love, but I can't love like I've been loved by you. Incredible command. And then he says, but don't be afraid in John 14, in the early verses. He says, but don't be afraid because I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And in fact, next week in our series, we're going to explore what that I'm going to prepare a place for you uh, is all about as we talk about our destiny. We talk about themes like heaven and is it true or not and what's ahead for us after death. But then he gives an incredible challenge that to this day is the most, maybe one of the most radical statements of Jesus. He flows right out of that in John 14 and in verse 12, I'll give it to you on the screen to show it to you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm leaving, but he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I'm leaving and going back to my Father in heaven. I, again, you imagine, put yourself in the seat around the table there. Jesus is saying to these common, everyday disciples, with all of their flaws, I'm leaving, and guess what? You're going to do greater things than I've done. Now, I don't know about you, but my first instinct on that is, yeah, right. And then I realize, well, Jesus is saying this. He doesn't lie. He's God. So what does he mean by this? Well, what we're going to see is the secret to understanding that and everything about the Holy Spirit, a lot of it is wrapped up in these two verses. So what is the truth? I call it Jesus on the Holy Spirit. I'll give it to you in two verses. Listen, 14, 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. I'm going back to the Father, right? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. In other words, he's been around. You've seen his power. You've seen what he does. You've seen his presence. He's been with you. And then he adds this phrase, because he's been with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you you. So what do we learn about the Holy Spirit based on Jesus, which I figure is the best authority, right? I want to take five key words out of those two verses and unpack a theology of the Holy Spirit for you, okay? And again, the outline will help you a lot on this today. If you want to follow along, here we go. Number one, he begins with this. He says, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to send my Spirit, and He has been with you, and He will be in you. The word He is important, he doesn't call the Holy Spirit, and, and it will be with you, meaning the power of God will be with you. He would use the, the pronoun it. But no, instead he says he will be with you, emphasizing that God is the, it's the person of God, not an it uh, or, a, or, a, or, a, or an impersonal force, but the person of God will be with you when I speak about the Holy Spirit. Uh, just very quickly on this, we don't have time to go into depth, but the Holy Spirit, people often talk about the personhood of anyone or of God as reflected in intellect, emotions, and will. If you don't have those three things, you don't have personhood. Well, we, have, we see elsewhere in Scripture, for example, just write the reference down. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Ephesians 4.30 says the Holy Spirit uh, is grieved whenever we sin 
and, re and refuse to forgive each other, for example. He is grieved. He has emotions. Elsewhere, it's talked about the joy of the Spirit, the peace of the Spirit being with you. So there's an emotional sign to the Holy Spirit as well. And then he makes choices. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 says this. It says, The Spirit of God distributes gifting and talents to his church just as he wills. So he's making decisions, just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is just as much a personal God to us as God the Father or God the Son. By the way, buried in this talk are some little sub-myths that exist, especially within the church. So let me call some of those out. One of the sub-myths I want to address is this, that I need to pray and work to have more of the Spirit. It's very common. I grew up in an environment where People that I knew would say, you know, if only I had more of the Spirit. And they would hope to get more of the Spirit. And they would hope and maybe experience something that assured them they had more of the Spirit. And not just enough to, to save them from their sins, but to empower them for their life. And the truth of the matter is this. When you receive God's Spirit, you get all of Him. That's the truth. When you receive the Spirit of God, bring that up. You get all, yeah, it's already up. You get all of Him. And the reason for that is he's not this impersonal uh, gas. He's not the gas for your engine that gets poured in. You can have a half tank, full tank, three-quarter tank of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is a person, just like Jesus is a, is a person. God the Father is a person. You can't get half of Jesus. You can't get half of the Father. You don't get half of Dale or Becky or, or, or Ryan or anyone else. If we come to your house, we kind of bring who we are. Now, it is true that a lot of times people will pray, Lord, let us experience more of your spirit. And what we need to understand is that's okay to pray, but you're not praying to receive a heavier dose of the Holy Spirit in, in your life. You're really praying for the spirit to have more freedom among us, to be active and moving and empowering us to do and be whatever God wants us to do and be. So the real issue, here's how I like to say it, isn't that you need more of the Spirit, it's that most of us, me included, by the way, without a doubt, uh, the Spirit of God needs more of me. He needs for me to allow Him to invade and to work in every part of my life. And a lot of times we tend to segment our lives as Christians. You know, we have our Sunday life. Sure, Spirit of God, come, take all of me, especially when I'm in church. But, you know, when I go to work, I need the Spirit of God just as active in my life. And when I'm having a relationship with my dear wife and my kids or my grandkids in my case, when you have friendships, he needs to be in the middle of your friendships. He needs to be guiding, directing, empowering us in every segment of our life. So when we pray for more of him, you're really not asking for a heavier dose of the Spirit. It's, it's that he gets more of me, that he gets more of us as his church. Spirit of God is a person, and if so, when he is in you or with you, he is 100% in. Number two. He says, I want to send him, I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper. Another helper, what's he mean? Well, a helper is one who empowers someone else. It really lines up with the nicknames we see for the Spirit of God all through Scripture, where the Spirit of God guides us, teaches us, comforts us, encourages us, empowers us. He's a source of more joy and peace, and, and, and he heals broken hearts, and so he's, he's our personal He's our personal counselor and advocate. And when you think of that, uh, you know, especially when he's called the Spirit of Christ, 
It makes sense that in John 15, Jesus refers to abide in me, rest in me, trust in me. Let me empower your life because without me you can do nothing, but with me you can bear spiritual fruit. You can be fruitful and changed and transformed. So Jesus speaks of the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ because he is. You Remember, there's only one God. So you know the Spirit, with, without a doubt, brings the Father, Son, the Spirit, the three are one. So that's the big mystery of the Trinity. But he's 100% God, and he's there to help us. And by golly, we need it. There's something significant buried in the Greek text that you don't see in the English language. The Greek text the Bible was written in, the New Testament. It says, I will give, I'll, the Father will send you another helper. And it, and it lines up because Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you another helper. Well, there's two words for another in the Greek language. One means another of a different kind, and another means another of the same kind. He uses here another of the same kind. I want to bring you another helper just like me. That's the emphasis. You actually have the, the presence of Jesus Christ in your life whenever you experience the Holy Spirit. He's a he, not an it. He's a helper. He's the source of our power. Number three, he says, and he will be with you forever. He'll be with you forever. He never leaves us. Uh, Romans 8 9 is the key reference here. If you want to write it down, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, he says you don't belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, you have his Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that gives us life, comes to live in us. Now, the big contrast here is with the Old Testament. Because when you read the Old Testament, a lot of people think, yeah, but you know, doesn't the Spirit of God kind of come and go? Uh, in fact, let me give you another sub-myth about the Holy Spirit. The second sub-myth of the morning is this. Hey, what happens when I mess up and sin? Will God take his Spirit from me? That's a good question. I think in my life, a lot of times when I sin, I feel crappy. When I know that I've done something that God does not want me to do, I feel terrible. And I feel like, you know, God must have, I'm sure God's left me. I'm sure he has. I may feel that way because I feel distant from God. I feel like my relationship with God is broken. You know, because I know God knows me and he knows the secret sins of my heart as well as what I do outwardly. So, you know, the question is, it's a great question. If I mess up and sin, does God take his spirit from me? What's the answer? The answer is no, that sin breaks our fellowship, our relationship on a daily basis, you might say, with God, but not our real relationship with him. He's our father. We're his child. We are one in Christ. In Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. In Christ, we have life. In Christ, we are by his spirit, uh, filled with his spirit, and we are indwelt with his spirit. And, and the spirit of God doesn't leave. I, maybe I've left the spirit, but the spirit hasn't left me. So it's kind of like when I'm in a fight with my wife. When Becky and I get in a conflict, it really affects our relationship. You know, the love doesn't feel there, and, and, and it happens. And when that happens, our relationship may be, our, our fellowship, our friendship may be broken temporarily, but our relationship as husband and wife doesn't change. It's like with our kids. You know, if you've raised kids or have kids or been around a kid, anyone else in the room? We've, okay, you've all been at least around a kid, Right. You know, when the kid's throwing a tantrum and being a brat and, and disobedient and just, just in your face as a parent, and it happens. You know, my daughter lives in Australia right now, in Sydney, Australia. She has her first child. My other two kids have three each. They're over it. They know that kids 
you know, misbehave. But my daughter, bless her heart, she calls us just yesterday. She's talking to her mom on the phone. I'm listening in. And she says, Mom, I can't believe Sam the man. That's what I call him. But, you know, Sam, you know, he's, Sam's about a year and a half old now. You know, and, uh, well, you know, the other day, he just, he got upset because I took my cell phone away from him. You know, because Sam doesn't have his own cell phone yet. That's probably coming way too soon. But, you know, he says, you know, but, you know, he just fell on the carpet. He planted his face, and he just wailed. And then when I tried to pick him up and comfort him, he was just angry. He wanted away from me. See, that's what I mean. Sometimes we're like that with God. Sometimes that's our relationship with God. And when that's the case, the Holy Spirit is not empowering our life, you know, our, our friendship, our reliance, our trust in God is broken, and we're kind of trying to live life on our own. And, and the Spirit of God is still there, though. Just like my daughter did not say, therefore, Mom and Dad, I'm sending Sam first class. Pick him up at the airport. Give him back when he's 21. No, no, no. I tried to comfort my daughter. I told her, I said, honey, we've raised three kids. So I guarantee you that that behavior will probably stop, you know, at about age 24. So, so you're, you're, you're just getting started. But let me ask you, maybe God, how do we know God doesn't take his spirit from us? Let me show you my favorite verse that proves that to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This is a passage where the Corinthian church was being confronted about sexual immorality in their midst. And, you know, it was, he, he was confronting some heavy-duty sins, of various sins. They were fighting with each other and, and, and in all kinds of inappropriate relationships. And, and, and this is what God wrote to them. Now, listen to it in light of our topic. He says, flee immorality. And then a few words later, he says, or... Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? He's a gift from God. And you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. In other words, you have that spirit. You have life because Christ died for you. He rose from the dead. It was the blood of Christ. The death of Christ purchased you, forgives you of your sin. You've been bought with a price. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God even in your body. Be careful how you use your body. Because your body is where the Holy Spirit lives. He's in you. And he's not writing this to the elders of the church or the pastors of the church or the missionaries or prophets. No, no, no. He's writing this as a reason for them to stop having all the cruddy sins that they had in their life. It's because the Spirit of God is living in you. So when we sin, what do you do? Well, this sermon is not just on this, but let me just pause for a second because you need to know, so what do I do when I sin? Okay, I know the Spirit's still with me, but what do I do? And when I was in college, I learned a concept that has forever really helped me here, and it's called spiritual breathing. And basically, it's like this. Think of sin like the poisonous carbon dioxide that builds up in your lungs when you don't breathe. If you Hold your breath long enough. It's actually not a lack of oxygen, but the presence of carbon dioxide triggers something in the body to exhale, and you've got to exhale. So, <coughs> excuse me, or cough, whichever one, okay? 
So obviously you can tell I've got a lot of sin in my lungs right now. But anyway, so, you know, but, but when you sense that you, oh my gosh, God, I have sinned. That's wrong. That thought, that attitude, that lust, that anger, that sin. And, and, and what you do is you, you exhale by confessing it to God. It's like exhaling your sin when you speak it out and confess it to God and you acknowledge. You don't, you don't make up excuses. You don't blame your husband, wife, children, grandchildren, or best friend. You don't blame someone. You own it and say, God, you know something? Uh, I, may, I may not even understand why I did this, but I know this is not pleasing to you. And you, you confess that sin to God. That's exhaling. So then you inhale. What is inhaling? This is where you got to not get confused on my metaphor, okay? You inhale by claiming his forgiveness. Lord, thank you. I thank you that I am forgiven because of what you've done on the cross. I thank you that Jesus died for this sin. I thank you that you still love me. I thank you that you've always loved me. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that I live and walk in your love and your grace. And Lord, I thank you that your spirit is within me and I want your spirit to empower me and help me be all that you want me to be. So it, that's what you do. You claim the truth about yourself. Now, what you don't do is you don't say, Lord, please give me the Holy Spirit back or give me more of your spirit because the Spirit's never left you, but you kind of surrender yourself and say, Lord, I want you back in control of my life because I know what I did was certainly not something you would do. So you confess, you exhale, you claim the truth about your forgiveness and the power of God's Spirit. That's it, like inhaling, literally, like inhaling. So tuck it away. Maybe it'll help you. How often do you do that? Every time you sense that you've sinned. I do this several times a day, um, you know, because I, I'm not perfect. I'll think, I'll think a thought I shouldn't think or do something I shouldn't do, you know, and I, I just need to exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, all throughout the day. Make it more of a, of a lifestyle. Third letter, third truth. He says, and he's going to give you the Spirit, verse 17, as a helper, but he also calls him the Spirit of truth whom the world can't receive, but you can, the Spirit of truth. In other words, he not only empowers us, he's there to enlighten us. The Spirit of God is there to help us and provide revelation and wisdom for us. He does that in several ways. In fact, over in verse 26, look down at verse 26, same chapter. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, there he is, whom the Father will send in my name. That's why Jesus said, unless I go back to my Father, none of this is going to happen. Because when Jesus ascended back to heaven with his Father, to be with his Father, then we have recorded in Acts chapter 1 and 2 how he then sent his Spirit to live in his, in, to live in his followers. So he says in verse 26, he says, whom the Father will send in my name, that helper, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I, and I think in this case, he's speaking specifically to the disciples. I don't think he's promising, well, the Holy Spirit will make sure you never forget anything you've heard. Obviously, he's not saying that. But it was an indicator that Jesus was saying, by the way, you're going to remember the things that you, you're, you, know, you're, you know, I'm leaving. So you're stressed, you're confused, you're wondering, how are we going to do this without you? I'm going to send you another helper. I'm also going to send my spirit as the spirit of truth to help you remember the things that are important. And we know from the writing of Scripture, God did that. We have the four Gospels as a result of that, for example. 
First, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, talks about what the Holy Spirit did. It says this, But know this first of all, that no scripture is a matter of just one's own interpretation. In other words, mankind didn't just make it up. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So this is talking about the scriptures, that it's the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of the Word of God so that we have the truth that we need to live in this confusing world. And then it's the Holy Spirit that even helps us understand that truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. I know I'm giving you a lot, but track with me, okay? He gives us the revelation from God, but then the Spirit of God, every day of my life now, also will help me understand those truths. He says, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know things freely given to us by God. Wow. You know what that means is every time I'm working on the sermon, you know, and it was a reminder, don't open this book. Don't open your script, your, the Bible and begin to read without pausing for a second and saying, you know, Lord, uh, thank you that your spirit who authored this book lives in me. So, Lord, help me to understand it. Help me to understand where it applies in my life. Help me not to apply it to my wife and then to me. Help me start with me. Process it. So the Spirit of God gives wisdom, but it, revelation, but also the wisdom to live life. Finally, I've already kind of mentioned this one. He says, he has been with you and he will be in you. That's the next key phrase. In other words, he indwells us. You know, this is the awesome truth. I mean, it's kind of like, let's say you're into golf and you decided, um, you know, I'd kind of like to take up golf. How many golfers in the room? Any golfers? Only four? Three? Anybody? How many are, try to golf but are embarrassed to admit it? Okay, that's me because I golf religiously once every two years. So you can imagine my golf game. But what if you're trying to learn the game of golf? Here's one option. What if you had Tiger Woods to be your caddy? So he's going to kind of carry your clubs and, and advise you on every shot. Would you be a better golfer, yes or no? I think so. Let me up at one. What if, by some miracle, the spirit of Tiger Woods actually came to live in you? Right? I mean, the good side of the Tiger Woods, okay? <laughs> I know some of you wives are kind of shuddering right now, okay? You know, but, you know, okay. So, the golf side. We're talking golf, not all of life. Don't wreck my metaphor. Yeah, so the spirit of Tiger Woods, he actually lives in you. So as you go to do that next swing, I mean, he can help empower you. He can help correct your slice, you know, because that's what I need, you know. I, I do golf. I, 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 can, I can hit a driver about 300 yards. Seriously. It goes about 150 yards straight and about 150 yards to the right. You know, but what if Tiger Woods could correct that? Because now he's... He's, he dwells in me. He can empower me. He can give me wisdom, and he, but he can also help me become the golfer that God wants me to be. See, that's, now apply that spiritually to your life. If you're trying to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you got a chance to have Jesus Christ living in you, wow, that's incredible. Because if you're trying to live the Christian life, as one mentor of mine used to say, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. 
unless you understand that Christ lives in you and you trust in him, abide in him, and you let him remake you and mold you and let him empower you because he's there. Now, how that happens, it's a mystery. The fact of the matter is he is there, which raises another little sub-myth that I grew up with, which is if I don't have the Holy Spirit, I don't have the Holy Spirit unless I have some special experience. How do I know this is true of me and not just someone else? You know, you know because often I grew up in some church environments where it was taught that either you have to like speak an unknown language or you have to have a, a miracle happen or you have to feel an experience or literally you have to kind of be knocked unconscious or something, but you have to have a special feeling. And what we find in Scripture is that's not true, that the truth is God's Spirit indwells all who trust in Christ as Savior. He is there. How do I know that's true? Because He promises me. If that's not true, Jesus is a liar. And if He's a liar, I'm in big trouble, right? So that's, that's why I know. You trust in the promises of God. You don't trust in my feelings to validate those. You trust in the promises of God. So when we look at these two short verses, you know, before we walk out the door or before we move into a time of communion in a few minutes, you know, what do I want you to remember? Because I've given you a lot of theology this morning. Let me boil it down for you. Here we go. Remember this. <clears throat> if you ever feel alone and you wonder where is God, he is always with you. He's always with you. And he's not just hanging at your side. He literally lives in you. God never leaves you. On the most spiritual day of your life, when you're really walking in his spirit and in his word and in fellowship with his church and you're growing and, and you're kind of imitating Jesus everywhere you go, he's with you. But you know something else? On the crappiest day of your life, when you are embarrassed to admit that you are a Christian because of what you're doing, the Spirit of God is still there. God is still there. So when you cry out sometimes, in the, especially in the midst of painful parts of life, you know, today, I, I, I didn't mention this as we opened, but I meant to mention this in my opening prayer. But we as a church, we want to be praying for our friends up north. The fires, the shootings, the, the unrest in our country, elections, tragedies. I mean, it can be depressing, all of it. But we need to know, so God, where are you? Well, the reality is God is with you. God is with you. He never leaves you. I have a dear friend whose home, I showed you pictures a couple months ago. Um, his home was literally destroyed um, in one of the fires last October in Santa Rosa. But, you know, he's been able to trust God, walk through the pain of that, which there's a lot of pain there. He lost everything except his kids. They got out. And with that, he's rebuilding his life. But, you know, God is comforting and helping and empowering him. So we need to be praying as believers for our friends, especially up north right now. Number two, when you feel powerless, you ever feel powerless? You ever feel like, you know something, I've tried to stop that, but I can't? I want to change that part of my life, but I can't. Every time you think, I can't, you need to stop and remember, he can. The Spirit of God can. God, Christ can, and he is with you. 
So it doesn't mean I stop sinning completely. I still sin, but it means one thing. It's I never sin because I don't have the capacity to stop. If I walk by His Spirit, by His power. Galatians 5.16 says this. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's a promise. Do we believe it? See, if so, it, it challenges me to confront my sins more. But, you know, it's not just about stopping doing stuff. The real fruit of the Spirit, as defined by the Scriptures. How do I know I have Him? Here's the list. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, that's what I need more of. That will help every single part of my life. Amen? Yeah. It sure will. The bottom line of this is this. The greatest miracle of all, if you want miracles in your life by the Holy Spirit, the greatest Holy Spirit miracle is the miracle of me when I'm changed to live and love more like Jesus. And if I'm seeing me living and loving more like Jesus, never perfect, but move in that direction, it's the Holy Spirit making it happen. And last but not least, you ever feel confused? If you feel alone, he's with you. If you feel powerless, he offers you his strength. And if you feel confused, he promises to enlighten you, period. Now, how does he do that? Does he do it by going, Holy Spirit, please speak to me? When I read the Word of God, what I find is this. The Spirit of God, although he can bring thoughts to my mind, I think he does. He lives in me. But, you know, really, the Spirit of God in Scripture uses the Word of God, and he uses the family or the people of God to supply the wisdom I need for life. It's not just about me and the Holy Spirit because he speaks through the Word, as He enlightens the Word, He speaks through the counsel of other wise people who know and love Jesus Christ. And through that, He changes me. He guides me. As the Spirit of God enlightens the Word of God and speaks through even my godly friends. That's it. If you want more wisdom, go there. Today, as we wrap up this message... What we're really talking about today is based on the very presence of Christ in us, sent from the Father to indwell us. He's indwelling you if you've trusted Christ. But if you've never trusted Christ, the first step is to do that. And I'd encourage you to consider doing that. Just to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I put my faith in what you did on the cross, and I trust you as my Savior. And if you've done that or if you do that today, we want to spend the next five minutes or ten minutes to give you a time to sit and worship, but mostly just reflect. If there's anything kind of gunking up your life like mine, if you, you know, in terms of sin, exhale it, okay? Spiritually breathe. Remember what Christ has done for you. And then we're going to celebrate communion, and we would invite you to approach the table only when you're ready. And drink and eat this remembrance that Jesus left with us. He left the bread saying, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let this remind you that I died for you. This cup, this is the blood. This is my blood of the covenant I have with you, shed for you on the cross. So drink this, but do it in remembrance of me. Do it 
with thankfulness and in the worship of me as your Lord, as your Savior. And here at Seacoast today, we would just invite you to, to sit, individually pray, and then whenever you're ready, there's plenty of time, slip to one of the four stations around the room and take the bread, take the cup, do it with yourself, by yourself, or with a friend, and, and, uh, and worship as you eat and drink. Father God, thank you so much for this time of communion. And Father, I pray that you would uh, use this, use this time of communion to help us each reflect and to uh, rededicate ourselves to you. Recommit ourselves to you and acknowledge our total dependence upon what Christ did on the cross for our forgiveness and upon his spirit that lives in us that we might live and love and serve like Jesus. In Christ's name we worship you. Amen.